0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. We're talking freight. We're going to talk sports. We're going to talk Ukraine. We're going to talk claims. Q&A, we got it all today. Episode 134. Of the Frey 360 Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're glad you're joining us. If you haven't done so already, leave us that nice review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your good podcasts and listen to us. And share us with your friends. We're growing, and we like the, the new listenership. So keep sharing us. Keep sending us your questions. All right. Today's episode is we're going to give a high-level overview on claims and kind of talk through the process of how it works. It's one of those... Things that will eventually inevitably happen in your career as a freight broker. And maybe you're not the one that handles the claim, but you should understand how the process works because you're going to have to explain to your customer your company's process and really the the big picture on it. So um, I've got a quick sports update here. I know I mentioned last week that uh, my my, uh, somewhat hometown local St. Bonaventure uh, basketball team, so is the... The basically, if you don't make the NCAA's tournament in March, there's like the secondary one called the NIT, and they made the final four in that. But they did lose. I think it was earlier this week. So, but hey, they they, they gave it a nice stretch. The NCAA side of it, um, the underdogs, St. Peter's, they made it to like the elite eight first time. Yeah. That that's happened in a, a very. They're like ranked fifteenth, I think, in their uh, in their group. But uh, coming out of the final four. In the uh, championship, in the next week here, we've got Duke, Villanova, North Carolina, and Kansas left. Villanova, Kansas, and Duke are all number one or two teams, and North Carolina is ranked eight, so they were middle of the pack in their group, but coming to an end. Obviously, March Madness, as we approach April here, has to come to an end. But, outside of basketball, uh, the NFL did officially change its overtime rules, thanks to the The Bills-Chiefs game last year. So now both teams are guaranteed in the playoffs to possess the ball at least once in overtime. If You remember the greatest 20 to 30 minutes in playoff football happened um, in Arrowhead Stadium. And the Bills and the Chiefs went back and forth. And Josh Allen didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime. And it pissed a lot of people off. So that's a new change this year. Bills are finally approved for their new stadium. $1.4 billion stadium in Orchard Park right across from the existing stadium. So Bills fans will get to see that in 2026. Um, Scotty Scheffler, golfer, won the match play tournament this past weekend. Did you watch that at all? I did not. I actually bet on that you one, and I it. won. It was good.
1: Did you? Nice. I watched some of it on Saturday, but I didn't get to watch it on Sunday.
0: Yeah. He 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 was he had like a five-stroke lead at one point. Um, but it, it got close. And then um, it ended up getting to there. I think it was like there might have been like two holes left when he. By, by the time he knew it, it might have been like three holes left by the time he knew that he won. So, uh, but yeah, so that's that's my quick down and dirty sports recap. Oh, baseball starts next week, April seventh. Um, my my team that I like, the Boston Red Sox, will be playing uh, at New York against the Yankees. Next weekend. So, baseball is back. Full season here. Lockout's obviously over. So, anything else around sports? Oh, did you hear the Spring Football League? The USFL? Dude, Mm. Pittsburgh got a team. They're they're starting, like, I think next month. It's like one of those experimental added-on football leagues. Like, they've had, like, the... The, the stadiums, AAF, they've had the XFL. Like, they've had like all different yeah. kinds of like experimental leagues over the decades. And there's another one this year. So, huh? yeah. Pittsburgh. Where are they playing team. at? Do you know? What's that? Like where are they playing out of in Pittsburgh? Like, at, like No. 9-2? So I think this year they're doing it as a bubble in Birmingham. If I read it correctly, where all eight teams are all going to do the entire 10 game season in Birmingham, which Birmingham has a team as well. I think like Houston, mm-hmm. Birmingham, Pittsburgh, like either New Jersey or New York. Michigan has one. Um, yeah, there's eight teams, ten games, and I believe they're doing, yeah, they're doing it all in one location to test it out this year, something like that. I could be wrong. I was just reading an article on it yesterday. So that's your sports update for the week. Um, what do we got around the world as far as news goes, Ben? What's happening with Ukraine?
1: So, um, not much updates as in regards to the war, other than the fact that Ukraine has taken back some ground, pushed back some of the troops back out of Kiev. It seems like they're moving pretty east. But we talk a lot about this, and we you know did an episode a few weeks ago on you know impacts of global issues, what's going on in the global economy, how does that affect you, how do you see these things? And I was I saw an article yesterday. And I had known this obviously because you know my wife's from Ukraine, but Ukraine is a huge producer of wheat on the world scale. In fact, I think it is—I can't remember which organization it is—that feeds like the most amount of hungry people in the world. Like I, I don't remember if it was like the World Kitchen or whatever it was. Like it was a humanitarian program, a huge one. They get literally 50% of the food that they use to feed people in poverty countries from Ukraine and some parts of Russia, and 50% of it they're not going to have this year. Well, on top of that, there was another article that was talking about like the global food impact of the war and like between Russia and Ukraine, they supply 30% of the world's wheat. They contribute 20% of the global maize and up to 80% of the sunflower seed oil. Now, what's interesting is that is going to affect everything, right? Because when you have that much supplied by one area and it not being there, what does that do? Drives up prices, drives up demand for sunflower seed oil, wheat, and things domestically in the United States and other countries. And there's another article that happened to come out today that was on waves. We'll put the link in the show notes. And same issue, but it's happening for another reason in the United States. Grain shippers want regulators to press the railroads for service issues. The railroads have been notoriously interrupted with what's happened during the pandemic, understaffing, just ebbs and flows in demand. To the point where, like anecdotally, there were a couple companies they interviewed. It was like the National Grain and Feed Association said one of its members had spent almost $3 million in the secondary freight market just getting animal feed because they couldn't get the rail shipments in on time. So when you're looking for opportunities and you're looking for things that are coming down and are likely to be around for enough time that it's worth prospecting, this is one that like, I'm gonna be prospecting. I'm gonna be looking at sunflower seed oil. I'm gonna be looking at wheat. I mean, to be honest, a lot of that ships on like hopper bottoms and rail cars. But again, when the normal can't get there, when the trains that normally carry this can't get it and people are willing to, they have to pay for it. Otherwise your animals don't eat, right? This is the scenarios that we talk about all the time on ideal customers. If it doesn't get there, there is a huge cost. Literally, their largest asset, all the animals on the farm don't eat, don't survive. So it doesn't matter if it's an extra three, 400 bucks to move that load. If they can't get it, they'll pay it because they need it, right? Those are the types of things that are putting strains on even just domestic supply chains that are going to create opportunities for freight brokers and truck drivers.
0: That's crazy. And for those of you who don't know what maize is, because you didn't listen in fifth grade, that's corn. Right? Is that what the natives call it? A little
1: throwback to, yeah, Thanksgiving when you're in fifth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Remember
0: making those. In the cornucopia? Yeah, in the cornucopia. I remember making like a turkey out of a, you draw, you trace your hand. hand. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, good stuff. Let's, Let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT Freight and Analytics before we hop into today's topic.
1: Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. You can grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge.
0: Absolutely. All right. Let's talk claims, man. Claims, claims, claims. So, what is a claim? Start what there. is a claim? Right. Think about a. Think about your uh, car. Right. We carry insurance on our car. You get in an accident. Well, how do you get the money to fix your car? You have to file a claim. The same thing goes with health insurance. You have a hospital bill. Insurance is going to pay for it. The hospital has to file a claim to get the money from the insurance company. Well. I would say ironically enough, but it's not. It's conceptually the same. It all applies to freight as well. So if you have a claim on a freight shipment, the same kind of basic process uh, will happen. So let's break down the parties involved and the steps that'll happen in a nutshell, and then we can peel back the layer. So as you onboard carriers, one of the things that you have to vet is that they're carrying the proper amount of insurance. So the, the big ticket item here is gonna be your your cargo insurance, right? So the, the the policy that covers the actual value of the freight. So for the purpose of today's claim discussion, we're gonna use a commonly claimed product. Um, generically, we'll just say produce, right? Produce can spoil because it's the wrong temperature. Um, it can freeze because it gets too cold. It can rot because it gets too warm. The reefer could break down. I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? And if that product is no good, when it gets to the receiver, it could be rejected. Part of the shipment could be rejected while the other portion of it is still accepted. Um, you know, this is the the, the basic um, situation that'll happen. And what happens then is the customer who owns that freight or that produce is going to say, "Well, hey, I just lost fifty thousand dollars worth of produce, so I need that money for that produce. I hired I hired you." To find a truck to get this delivered, right? And now it's destroyed or it's partially destroyed. So we as brokers are not the ones liable for that actual um, claim. Or we're not the ones liable to pay the shipper for that lost product. Um, But we are responsible to ensure that the motor carrier, the truck that we hire, has the proper insurance in place to cover that. Okay, so what will happen is the insurance company for the, the motor carrier or the truck, they'll be the ones that are actually going to cut the check to pay that shipper for their lost product. But it's not just as simple as press a button and a check is written, no. There's a, there's a process that goes through there. Same thing with a car, right? You get in a car accident. They're gonna wanna figure out, well, who's at fault? Is it the driver that's at fault? Is it the other driver that's at fault? It was an act of God, you know, all these different things. Right. And that will determine whose policy and whose policy will cover it. And if that policy is written properly to cover it. So in freight, let's use the example of produce. Did the truck driver make a mistake? right? Did they not set their reefer to the right temperature? Did they- Let me ask you something. Yeah, go Can ahead. Let me go
1: through a chrono... I want to go through this chronologically because it's been a long time. Like I've worked through them personally, but again, I worked through them with somebody in a department like you that literally did the minutia, the paperwork. I reviewed it, checked it, dealt with the customers, um, dealt with the carriers, but I'd like to go through like a chronological- Yep. So let's take a produce shipment, right? We'll say produce shipment, we'll call it blueberries. They got a pretty high likelihood of expiration- risk. That's why they're high margin. So yep. you book, we book, I booked a load with a carrier. Okay. They ran the Blueberry shipment from, we'll say Fresno to Boston. When it arrived in Boston, I get a call from my shipper. Hey, 30% of this looks like it's spoiled. And I yep. go, okay, now what happens from this? Point? I'm going like to back you up. called me. I'm going to back you up
0: and explain why there's some important steps beforehand, right? Think about your bill of lading. That is a legal document. And that legal document will follow that shipment all the way from Fresno to Boston. Think about who signs that bill of lading. Your shipper, the driver, and the receiver. And there's a very, very good reason as to why this happens. The shipper inspects their product, makes sure, hey, these blueberries are all good to go. I'm gonna sign off on here and we've got X amount of pallets of blueberries. They're all good to go. It's annotated on the bill of lading, how that reefer unit has to be set. Here's the temperature. It's gonna be set at continuous versus cycling. That's an important thing, too, to make sure our drivers know that. The driver then accepts that shipment. It's loaded on the truck. They're going to sign off on the bill of lading, acknowledging everything, agreeing to everything, and then it gets to the receiver. Good question there. So let me ask
1: you this, too, because we're gonna start from the beginning, right? So one. Like, I guess that's where the shipper, if the if the unit needs pre-cooled, the guy literally go in and he checks and makes sure the actual reefer was cool when he arrived. But like how do they check the product? Do the drivers like literally go and walk through and look to see if it's expired, or they just kinda of take the shipper's word for it?
0: No, I mean I the depending on the situation and who the shipper is, that could be there could be a variety of different scenarios that go on there. Cause in some some customers might have the driver assist in the Loading process, Uh, it is the driver's responsibility though to make sure that they are loading the proper amount of the product and to have a visual on that product. so produce it's it's it'll behoove the driver to be involved in that process to at least visually get an eye on that. Some types of produce or product they'll do um, they'll a do a pulp sample and things like that, yeah. right, to make sure that the internal temperature is properly um, where it's supposed to be. In addition to that, as a broker, because um, you brought up the the temperature of the inside of the reefer, um, think about this. Let's say a driver is you know they just had something in their um, reefer at 60 degrees, and now they have to do a frozen shipment that has to be at, um, let's say, zero, okay? It takes some time to cool down the entire inside of that trailer, so that, that driver needs to be aware of how quickly, you know, hey, it's gonna take me X amount of time to get my reefer unit to the right temperature, they'll have to make sure that reefer unit is is turned on um, and it, long enough in advance to be at the right temperature, and they should be checking that and I know a lot of brokers, will they will ask to see a picture of the thermometer showing what the temperature reading inside that reefer unit is. That, is. that is a good pre-dispatch checklist item for you as a freight broker. And the shipper is typically going to want to see that reading themselves as well before they load the product in there. It's also
1: why you want to... You- why in who you care about in regards to the types of carriers you're putting on your loads, right? I mean, I've run some and it was a long time ago and I always had somebody that knew what they were doing when I was running them with them. And I remember we used a lot of the same carriers and it was for that very reason because, well, it will ultimately, if something goes wrong, fall on their insurance. So they should care enough. But if you've got drivers that like, you know, honestly don't have that great relationship with a company they're even working for and they don't necessarily care, like I've you know, heard and been around situations where shippers have tried to get away with this. They're like, Hey, half this product's almost bad. So like they'll literally put it in the refrigerator or something in their, in their chiller to make it look cool. They'll load it in the truck knowing it won't last five days yeah. because it only got a day or two. And then they immediately try to jam up the driver intentionally to get back some of their lost inventory. Yeah, I'm not that's, saying that's like a common thing, but it, it's I've, fraud, man. I've but, seen it happen. Yeah.
0: I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're absolutely correct on that. Um, so back to our our process here. So Upon sign, delivery of that shipment, the receiver mm-hmm. is then also uh, responsible to sign that bill of lading, accepting that shipment. The amount of it, that it's all in good condition, nothing over short, nothing damaged, no claim, right? Now let's say there is an issue, okay, and for the for the sake of this scenario, we're gonna talk about um, spoiled product, right? We're not gonna talk about something like a part being damaged or a missing pallet or anything like that, because those are other situations, but we'll talk about spoiled product, all right? And I wanna preface by saying documentation and having a sense of urgency are two extremely important things to be aware of when it comes to any kind of potential claim, okay? The longer it's been since there's a claim that we think is going to arise versus when we 100% determine that. The longer it's been, the harder it is to figure out whose fault it is and what happened, right? Because think about this. Shipment delivers, and we think the product is spoiled. It gets pulled off, and it just sits on a dock at room temperature, which could be 80 degrees in some locations. Um, well, it's definitely going to be spoiled 12 hours from now if we don't actually have a inspection done on it right? to figure out, exactly what is going on with the shipment and potentially who's at fault versus, hey, we inspected it as soon as it got there and we're able to determine that it was spoiled while in transit versus, well, how do we know if it was in transit or is it partially because it was sitting on the dock at eight degrees, all kinds of stuff. So documenta- documentation is going to be extremely important and then sense of urgency as well. So um, USDA inspections are big, right? So if there's, a, if there's anything in question about the status of the um, produce or the of the product, and you want to have a professional come in and inspect it. Highly encourage you to do that. Um, USDA inspection can be ordered by the receiver to have somebody come in and actually do an in-depth inspection to determine what the, as a third party who's not involved, right, to determine not who's at fault, but to give you facts. Here's what we know, and then the insurance adjusters can then make their determination.
1: Um, How so, does somebody
0: find one of those? By the way,
1: like. How do you find the USDA locations?
0: Yeah, so if you go to USDA.gov, you'll be able to see um, the entire process, if you want to know that, on based on the commodity that you're working with, the um, the locations of these different regional offices, and their, their costs that they actually charge, depending on which commodity it is. It could be the amount of time that they spend um, per hour or... In some cases, it's it's depending on the the volume or the amount of that product that they have to inspect. So, interesting stuff. Uh, USDA.gov. If you just Google USDA inspection produce or whatever, you'll be able to find that link um, right on their website, part of the Department of Agriculture. So, uh, yeah, those. But so, the, I guess the big takeaway here is you're obviously as a broker, you're not there, you're not on site, you don't have a visual on it. It's not your responsibility to. To call that inspection, um, the receiver, especially considering the receiver wants to, it's in their best interest to try and um, free themselves of any liability, right? They want to clear themselves of the ones being liable for the damage. Um, they're going to want to have a uh, a USDA rep from Department of Agriculture perform that inspection and provide the facts and their findings. Um, so. Now, let's let's go through how the claim process actually follows through, or how it actually takes place. Because as a broker, we do have a, um, first of all, we have a vested interest in this, right? Because our customer has a loss, and we want them to be made whole of this loss, okay? Um, so, The typical way that it'll work now for someone that's a small broker that's just operating by themselves or in a small operation, um, likely the same person that's booking the shipment is gonna handle the claim as well. Whereas if you work for a larger organization or maybe you're a a freight agent for a company, they probably have someone identified and that's that's their job or one of their many jobs is to handle the facilitation of claims. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna work between all the parties involved and one of the big parties there is going to be the carrier's insurance um, company. So whoever writes that policy for that motor carrier, that's who the claim will be filed with. The same way that if you get in a car accident, you would file a claim with the insurance company. Okay. Um, these claims processes can take quite some time. It could be... You know, we'd love to say it all can happen within a couple of days, but it doesn't you know, it could be months, right? I've seen claims that go on for five or six months because people are disputing back and forth and well, I don't agree to this, and well, I don't agree to that, and there's there's such a lack of information and documentation that it's so hard to make a determination. And at the end of the day, someone's gotta settle and say, you know, hey, we're gonna Split this down the middle. We'll take some of the fault on it. You'll take some of the fault on it. Um, that's not the ideal situation. A good situation if everything's documented properly and everything's done in a timely manner, right? It's very clear who's at fault here, and then that insurance company will settle that claim and cut the check out to the shipper or whoever's product it is. It could be the the receiver who who ordered that um, shipment and in, inbound towards them. So. Um, did you guys, so I would imagine you came from a big box brokerage, you probably had a claims division or, um, a representative on a, on a certain team that these would go yeah, to out a, of that work for you.
1: We had a claims department and then we basically facilitated everything. So like the last claim I worked on, um, and this was actually the one where there was a fatality into it. I I've told the story on there, the truck driver, um, had a heart attack and was on an interstate and veered off the road intentionally to what they could tell to not hit a rest stop. Drove his truck into a tree. Um, and total loss. I mean, burned to the ground. Everything. We didn't find out for like two, three days until they, you know, they found the wreck. They worked back through. We were check calling. It couldn't find it. Long story short, that was the claim. The claim was um, they were insulated. St- insulated steel wire. Um, So it looked like the stuff they run on telephone poles, right? So it was bundled up, it was in coils on on the flatbed, total loss of the truck, total loss of all the cargo. So what we then did was I worked back to the customer to got the established value, their cost, what they stated the value was. I facilitated those documents. The claims department then worked with the carrier's insurance. So I got the, the documents from the shipper, sent the values over. They would then send me the, basically exactly what you said, the, the insurance company would say, hey, this is what we've established the value as. This is what we've established the cleanup cost to be. This is what we established the value of the truck to be. This is the funds being dispersed to them. The funds being dispersed... To the shipper and then i think actually our money for the shipment was actually in there too because i think us the brokerage were made whole for and i don't know if money ever changed hands actually for the price of the actual shipment because the load clearly didn't like the get the freight charges thing yeah. Um, yeah, and again, I've this was like a couple years ago, but. The
0: the, the majority of, of claims I've seen, the, the shipper's not going to pay that freight bill and the carrier's yeah. not going to get paid. Um, I have seen certain companies where they make it very clear in their contracts that claims are handled 100% separately from freight charges and they will literally continue to invoice and call and call and call a customer and say, you need to pay your freight bill when there's a claim that's been in the process for 120 days or 150 days, and the yeah. customer's like, I'm, we're not paying this. Like, our product was damaged. So yeah. realistically, at the end of the day, usually the, the freight bill is not paid and the carrier... The, the At the end of the day, that freight bill is typically not paid. So the customer's not going to pay the freight charge and the carrier's not going to receive payment for it, assuming the carrier's at fault on it. So um, this is why... I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the driver, right? If they get to a location and a product's rejected, think about how they're emotionally feeling and this is where you as a broker can step in and try to assist, right? You know, you wanna you wanna try and support that driver as much as possible. They may have no idea what happened, right? Their reefer might have broke down and they had no idea when it happened or, um, or that it happened at all, right? Or it could be that they get there and they're being told to open their doors up We'll have someone right there to offload the product. Next thing you know, they're waiting three hours and all that outside warm air is getting inside their trailer. You know, you need to make sure you tell them, like, document the times on this stuff, right? Take pictures of everything so they can, you know, cover their own butt on this situation. Um, it's you, all You should to advocate for your drivers.
1: It's all cover your ass in these scenarios, right? Documenting when you arrive, having the driver document when he checked in, having the driver write down just on the BOL, just in the pencil. It doesn't even matter. Like a pen if he's got it, obviously, but hey, I checked in here. You know, they came, I pulled up to the dock here. They opened my door here. Product didn't get out until here. Because again, I mean, just to give you the analogy, imagine you just bought a bunch of groceries, put them on your refrigerator. And then put your refrigerator outside, and then open the door in Florida, right? And I mean, it's not always the case that the weather's that hot outside, but like in a lot of cases, that's, a that's good, exactly that's a what's happening. Great analogy,
0: though. It's the same. It's the same concept. Yeah. Um, because something that something that requires cold storage should be taken from cold storage, loaded right onto a cold trailer, and offload it right into cold storage. That's mm-hmm. that's how it should work. The more time that it spends not in cold storage is going to increase your potential of claim. You'll also find situations too where, um, let's say that same example, right, where the the doors are opened up and they ended up waiting an extended period of time before they got offloaded. Well, your customer might say, oh, this stuff's all spoiled. Well, in reality, no, it's not, because the stuff at the at the end of the trailer, sure, it might be spoiled or it might be no good anymore because it was exposed to warmer temperatures, but all the way in the back of that trailer, up towards the reefer unit, it's still going to be just fine there. And that's where that USDA inspection is going to come into play. And they're going to give you their facts and their findings on that. So um, you don't ever want to feel like you're bullied by the receiver in these situations and the, well, the carrier especially, right? Cause they, they may or may not be at fault, but they need to make sure that they're doing everything in their power to protect themselves and clear themselves of liability. If they are, at, if they are not at fault.
1: So let me so. ask you this. Let's go through a couple instances where a broker might be held responsible, right?
0: Um, <laughs> I've got a few examples of those from a previous company I worked for. Um, throw a
1: couple out. We don't have to, yeah, have to identify so where I, I told been. this story before.
0: I had a guy that moved, um, he did potatoes and onions. And um, a, so reefer units are not just used to cool things, they're also used to keep temperatures. At a certain higher temperature in the cold months. So um, instead of having a uh, temperature controlled unit to keep the potatoes and onions at a at a um, safe, adequate temperature level during the winter months, he would hire drivers that had a vented van and have them throw a propane heater inside of it and was like, oh, this will do. Just go buy one of those propane heaters for a hundred bucks, throw it inside your your trailer. But what happens when those things tip over? They have a safety feature that will turn them off so nothing starts mm-hmm. on fire. Well, he did this with like probably like a dozen different shipments. This is like seven, eight years ago. And eventually, like, they're like, dude, like your broker told us, like, the carrier's like, we did everything the broker told us to do. He told us to, this is the equipment type we needed, and here's the email stating that, hey, here's the uh, propane heater you can go get for 150 bucks. Here's from the reimbursement. <laughs> and it ended up, like, we as the brokerage were held liable for it. So yeah. he... He was the one that it came out of his commission, but that's an instance where it's not the driver or carrier's fault. It's not the shipper or receiver's fault. That's on the broker for hiring the wrong equipment type to go in there and handle that um, that load. And we've seen it happen with um, think about if if a customer if it's an open deck, right? And they're like, "Well, this needs um, you know this needs to be tarped," and they don't tarp it, and then. Next thing you know, like there's damage because there was hell or you name it. It could be like Mm -hmm. just debris from the highway gets kicked up and dings against a a piece of machinery or equipment, right? Um, And that comes down to the broker being negligent in hiring the wrong equipment type or contracting the wrong equipment type to go haul that shipment. So don't be that broker that tries to save money and make extra uh, profit on your loads by cutting a corner or taking a shortcut and sending the wrong equipment in there. You need to be professional and dot your I's and cross your T's whenever you're handling someone else's um, shipment like that. So that's an example of where the brokers held liable. Now now, let's give you an example of where, we've talked about the carrier, right? It could be mm -hmm. a reefer breakdown. They could have set their reefer to the wrong temperature hey, Fahrenheit and Celsius, right? Make sure you're very, very specific in this, right? We, we typically deal in Fahrenheit here, but make sure you're, that that's how you're you're putting that stuff on your rate confirmation. It could be that they had it on um, cycling instead of continuous. So instead of it staying continuously at, we'll say 36 degrees, they have it cycling. So next thing you know, it kicks off and it gets too warm or too cold depending on the time of year inside that trailer and they're outside of that, that level of tolerance for that specific product. That's going to be on the carrier. And, oh, by the way, depending on your carrier's insurance policy that they have, um, they might have reefer breakdown included in their policy or they might not have reefer breakdown included in their policy. You get what you pay for with insurance. So that's the kind of stuff that you'll, you'll run into with claims. Now, when is it the shipper or receiver's fault? Um, product was spoiled before it gets loaded um, the receiver tells the driver to open their doors up will be right there and then they wait three hours and it gets spoiled um, the loading or, or unloading process it gets hit by a fork tine from a forklift this is where pictures are all very very important right it's not properly blocked or braced which hey the driver should be inspecting the inside of their trailer to make sure stuff's properly blocked, embraced and secured inside of their equipment. Um, but those are examples of different parties involved and where where and when they may be the ones that are at fault in the situation. And now you can see, well, it could be the broker's fault, the shipper receiver's fault, or the carrier's fault. This is why it behooves all of us to document and record everything possible to make sure that we are um, alleviating ourselves from any potential liability in these situ- in these certain situations.
1: Here's a question for you. So let's say in the instance the broker puts on their, whatever, 35 degrees, but the BOL says 30. Um, BOL is – that's your binding document to answer your question. So something helpful that you can always throw in your rate cons is I always had in there to – like specific verbiage that I got from legal that said to refer always to the BOL. So like, even though we put, and you would check the degrees, you would check call the driver before he arrived, confirm that he set his reefer temp there, always still reverts to the BOL, right? So that the liability also and responsibility falls on there.
0: Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, And think about the reasoning behind that, right? The the broker may have been told over the phone what the temperature is, and then they tell it over the phone to the driver. At the end of the day, the person giving or putting that shipment onto the truck is the shipper who's physically there in person who is signing that BOL along with that driver who is physically on site, can see it visually, and is also signed that BOL. That BOL is a legal document. Just keep that in mind. Yep. Good stuff on claims. My, my big takeaway and my big tips on claims are um, if you think – if you have the slightest inkling that there could be a claim, get ahead of it. Let your customer know because bad news gets worse with time, right? So don't wait to tell them and they think all is hunky-dory and then they find out the next morning that their their receiver rejected the shipment, okay? So get ahead of it. Um, and also advocate for your drivers and make recommendations over the phone, whether it's that um, getting the inspection done or taking pictures of of the product itself taking pictures of the temperature recorder inside the reefer unit um, logging the times of arrival and loading and unloading and all that stuff there's a reason that your tms has the ability for you to mark check calls and arrival times and departure times and notes and all that stuff it's so you can also document from your perspective what's going on throughout that process so attention to detail sense of urgency and always treat everybody with respect too because nobody likes when claims happen right Nothing's worse than getting in a car accident and the other person's like, it was your fault. No, it was your fault. It's like, hey, this sucks that happened. It was a little fender bender, but let's uh, let's take pictures. Let's get the police report done and all that good stuff. So think of the USDA inspection like a police report, right? They're not saying mm-hmm. who's at fault. They're just gonna document what they can say is, is fact. Good stuff.
1: What do uh, we got from our folks over at Lean?
0: Yeah, so we got some fun stuff coming up with Lean before we get into uh, you know talking about them a little bit. But um, every quarter we're going to be doing a, a new topic that kind of highlights things in the industry with them, accompanied by um, you know an episode as well as some videos on it. This coming quarter, Q2, we're gonna talk about the labor shortage and how that's affected all of us in the brokerage world. Uh, but as you're growing your brokerage, if you're looking to hire folks to fill seats for operations, sales, maybe you need a website revamped or something done on the tech side, maybe you need some marketing support for your organization, check out Lean, it's Lean Solutions Group, uh, leangroup.com, they've got those four main areas. So they got sales, staffing, tech and marketing. Check them out at leangroup.com. Um, they're a great op- great option for you as far as, uh, especially on the staffing side and obviously we'll talk more about that as we get into Q2 here with the labor shortage and the great resignation, but um, a lot of options there. It's always worth a phone call to explore your situation and see if, what kind of possibilities are there for you. You can typically get um, you know, about, about half the cost of what it would cost somebody in the United States here if you could even find labor right now in the United States or in your area, you can find someone remote who's trained in brokerage and just has to learn the ropes of your TMS and your, your operating procedures. So check them out again at leangroup.com. And we've got uh, two questions here today from the community. Um, one of them actually has to do somewhat with claims, but the first one is about uh, single shipment or single pallet shipments. How can I quote a single pallet shipment? Um, so for those of you that are big on full truckload, and your customer is like, "Hey, I got two pallets to ship," and you're like, "I don't do anything less than a full truckload," and you just shy away from it. Um, you may be losing, you may be leaving business or opportunities on the table. So don't be afraid to to look at LTL or partials as an option. So to answer the question, you have some options when it comes to single pallets. Typically, LTL is going to be your best bet, probably the most cost effective way to do it. So obviously, a full truckload, you're going to have, you know. You could be 20 pallets, 26, 28, whatever, right? If you just have one or two pallets that a customer wants to get moved, that's where those LTL carriers are designed to work those types of shipments, right? They're gonna consolidate a large volume of small shipments, run them through their network of pre-established service centers and be able to pick up and deliver that one single pallet for your customer. So if you don't have direct pricing with LTL carriers, you can call them up, call up your XPOs, your FedEx Freights, your, um, who else have they got out there? Estes, uh, Old Dominion, I mean there's a ton of them out there, national and regional. Um, You can also talk to like an LTL brokerage who specializes in LTL shipping and you can do a co-brokerage agreement to get some piggyback pricing off of them. But that's my recommendation for single pallet shipping. Um, Very price sensitive is in the LTL world, so you may not be the most competitive at it. Uh, I have found that a lot of full truckload brokers, they will only do LTL if their customer has them very, very randomly or rarely. Because they already trust you, they already know you, and they're not super price sensitive on it. They just, they wanna keep working with one single point of contact. Um, So that's my answer on single pallets. Same thing, it's the only time I would ever do it, honestly.
1: Single pallets, if, if it's my customer and I do everything for them, I offer that just so they don't have to go to somebody else. Again, mostly because I don't want somebody else working their way back into my business. So it's more like barrier to entry. I'm like, I don't want my customer calling somebody for one pallet because the next question they're gonna ask is, hey, how's your full truckload? And even if I'm doing everything perfect, you never know.
0: Yep, you're absolutely right. All right, our second and last question here is, um, should you watch a carrier's deductible before booking them on a load? This comes back to claims. So yes. You should. Um, So what's a deductible in insurance? So a deductible is the amount of money that the insured party, so the carrier in this case, how much they have to pay first before the insurance kicks in. So let's say a carrier, I would consider like $10,000 as a high deductible for a carrier's insurance policy. What does that mean? Well, out of their 100K in cargo insurance, they are responsible to pay the first $10,000 before the insurance picks up and pays out on that claim. So, why is that an issue? Well, if you have a $5,000 claim or $5,000 in damage and there's a $10,000 deductible, the insurance company is not writing that check. That money is coming from the carrier, right? Now you're relying on that carrier to pay and make whole your customer for their damage and their losses. Instead of an insurance company who is obviously a massive organization, it's reputable, and you know, if they don't pay a claim when they're supposed to, they're not going to be in business and have customers. Whereas a carrier, you know, they could dispute it and I'm not paying this. So you have you have a little bit of risk there. I wouldn't say avoid them at all costs because a lot of newer carriers, they will choose a high deductible option because their their premiums that they pay for their insurance are going to be less and it's going to cut their initial um, overhead costs. But it is important that you are aware of that. Um, if you've got, you know, three carriers as an option, and one of them is a high deductible and is a little bit cheaper, it may be better for your customer. Hey, this one costs a little bit more, but hey, it's blueberries or it's you name it. That's high, you know, higher on the claims risk. Um, so in the in the case of a claim, you know, we're going to feel a lot more comfortable with someone who does not have that high deductible. So a lot of TMS platforms can be. Um, set up where when they when they see that there's a high deductible on that carrier's insurance, it'll warn you. I've seen that in a system where it's going to require an override or it'll just kind of pop up as a message on your screen and just flag it like, hey, just a ha- FYI, this MC number, they've got a $10,000 deductible on their insurance. So, yes, I do recommend um, looking out for that, but, you know, don't be discouraged. It's the same thing with conditional carriers, right? You can have a conditional carrier that – is doing all the right things to make things better. And they're a lot more reliable now than some of those satisfactory carriers, so. It's funny you said that. I remember that when I used to work in a bank,
1: there was one of the senior guys there used to make the same argument about somebody that had a bankruptcy. Even if it was a little bit longer ago, he used to say, look, the guys that have had that happen to them, or gals, are 10 times as likely to prevent it from ever happening again than somebody that hasn't gone through it. We learn from mistakes most of the time. Not uh, everyone, we, uh, but most, most yeah. of us do. We so. learn by making mistakes. We don't ever learn from all of our mistakes. This is true, this is true.
0: <laughs> yep, pain is a very memorable thing, especially when it comes to uh, making painful mistakes in business, so. Well, good episode. Hope, hopefully that gives you guys all a, a little bit of an insight to the claims process. Again, you're most likely as a new broker, if you're working at a big box organization, you're not the one that's going to be um, doing the whole claims process. But, hey, if you went out there and you opened up your own shop, you're wearing that hat. So be prepared, if that happens, that you're going to be the one that's facilitating this. You're the one that's going to be working with the, the carrier's insurance company and, and facilitating back and forth between the insurance company and your customer and getting all the information and all the documentation. That's you. That's your job. So good stuff. Good stuff. Any, uh, no, anything else we got on the docket today?
1: Um, In the show notes, we'll still have the fund for Ukraine for the Guardian Angel Fund. So, I mean, even if it's $5, all of it is going to a great cause. We'd greatly appreciate any of your support from any of our listeners out there. You can find it in the show notes.
0: Yep, and the Freight Waves article on there as well, if you want to read that. Um, Any final thoughts here, Ben?
1: Whether you believe you can or believe you
0: can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills! That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on
1: Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.